Good morning, Bethel. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, let's prepare our hearts and our minds for hearing from the Lord as we open up his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we love you. We worship you. That's why we have taken time today from our homes to unite together, to even sing out with the brothers and sisters around our community and who are uniting with us together in worship to you. And we come to your word with eager hearts, eager to hear from you, God, eager to have you speak to our very lives and change us. And so today we come, please speak, Lord. We, your servants, are listening. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. When you are writing a letter, I don't know whether it's a, a formal, you know, old school handwritten snail mail letter or an email, how do you finish it off? How do you, how do you conclude your letter? And that probably the answer to that depends hugely on who you're writing to, right? If you're writing a cover letter for a boss um, or for a job to apply to or for your boss at work, you probably finish off with something like, you know, sincerely and sign your name or respectfully, you know, Alan Self. If you're writing maybe a little less <clears throat> formal to a friend um, or someone that you have a bit more of a relational connection with, you might finish off by saying, you know, like all the best or regards and then kind of sign your name. If it's a brother or sister in the Lord that you're writing to, maybe you write at the end, God bless. Um, if you get an email from me, you'll probably often see me finish off with the phrase in Christ from Alan. Or if you're writing to someone who is that sweet love of your life, you know, a boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse, your, your husband or your wife, or, or maybe even your kids, you, you probably finish it off by saying, you know, love, love you always, XOXO, something like that. Those are the ways that today we finish off letters when we write them. Over this last ministry year, we have been studying through a part of the Bible it's a letter, actually, called the Book of Romans. We've been on this amazing journey looking through this incredible part of God's Word that, that the Holy Spirit inspired and led the Apostle Paul to write and has been passed down from generation to generation, perfectly preserved for us here today, the very nature, very uh, inspired Word of God. But it was also first penned by Paul as a letter to a group of followers of Jesus in the ancient city of Rome. And we're coming today to our very last study in this book of Romans, and we're looking at the goodbye. We're looking at the final greetings. And it's a different kind of end to a way a letter is done than the way we would do it, which is probably no surprise. A lot has changed in 2,000 years. But today we're looking at the ending where Paul says goodbye. And I've titled our sermon today, more than just goodbye, because in this final greeting, in this final salutation, there is way more here than you might expect, that you might even notice at first glance when you look through this text, way more than just a goodbye. There is deep, rich, challenging, life-transforming truth 
that we're going to see coming out of God's word here as we consider this final goodbye. And we're going to look at it in three sections, okay? So let's dive in, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, it says, a servant of the church of Cancrea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first convert in Christ to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been with me in prison. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelitus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard um, in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Astronicus, Philogon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and the sisters, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. When this letter arrived in Rome, see, the way that this would play out is the whole church gathers together, all the brothers and sisters in Rome, and then this entire letter from Chapter 1, verse 1, right through to the very end of chapter 16 is read. And at the end here, we get this greeting where Paul's like, you know, even though he's never been to Rome before, along his journey, presumably, of missionary work all over, you know, where he had traveled for years, he's met a whole bunch of different people that have eventually landed themselves in Rome. And he's like, hey, say hi to this person, say hi to this person, say hi to this person, shout out to this person. He sends all these greetings. And then we skip down a few verses. We'll come back to the others in a couple minutes. But we sit back to now where Paul is saying hi from those who are with him. Verse 21, it says, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings, as does Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Just stop there for a quick moment. It was very common in Paul's time to actually verbally dictate long letters that were to be written. And so it's kind of like, you know, very ancient, you know, Siri on your phone or Alexa, like the, the talk to dictate out what was being written. So Paul was speaking and then this guy, Tertius, was the one who was writing down, dictating what, what Paul is dictating to him. Verse 23 continues, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Coritus send you their greetings. So you've got this long list of greetings at the end of this letter in this goodbye. 
By my count, there's 29 people that Paul says, plus some of their family and, and stuff, that he says in the first 16 verses, like, hi to. 29 people he identifies. And then with Paul and kind of his posse, there's another eight people that are saying hi from them to the brothers and sisters who are in Rome. 37 total people here in this chapter. But these are not just random names. From this, we actually have an incredible insight that we learn here. Do not just quickly gloss past this list of greetings. See, what we see here, first of all, is that the gospel builds the most beautiful bonds between the most unlikely people. This is truly an accumulation of the most unlikely people that you can probably even imagine. You've got here the knowns and the totally unknowns. Of this list of 37 people, seven of them, seven of them are mentioned at some other point in the scriptures, okay? Seven of them come up in other spots. So think of Timothy, for example, comes up in a number of different spots, or the, the married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, come up in some other spots. They are what you might call known, significant leaders in the early church. But here's the thing, okay? There's a few of those that are mentioned, but there's 30 who the only thing we know about them is what is written down in this chapter. Nothing more than greet such and such, a worker in the Lord, 30 of them. There are some knowns in here, but there are many more totally unknowns. You've got societal leaders and outcasts here. Paul has with him, it said in verse 23 there, Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, which is kind of to say he was like a big deal government guy managing the whole city. And then you've got mentioned in terms of people that he writes to, verse 14 says, greet Hermes, which was actually a very common slave name in that time the director of a whole city, and slaves. You've got different races and ethnicities in here. Jewish people, verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives. That was Paul's way of saying, like my kinsmen, my fellow nation, not from the same nation, my Jews. It says the same thing in verse 11. Greet Herodian, my relatives, same deal. So you've got Jews in here. You've got verse 12, greet Persis, which meant Persian woman. Woman from Persia is a part of this. And then you've got him saying in verse 14, greet Hermes. Did, did, did you know that Hermes was the name of a Greek god? This is actually Zeus's son, okay? The Greek god Zeus, his son, his name is Hermes. And so this guy is from a family. He grew up in a family that was so devoted to worshiping other pagan gods that they named their son after one of the pagan gods. The diversity here of this group is just crazy. You've got women. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, greet Mary, who worked very hard in verses 1 and verse 6. You've got couples, Priscilla and Aquila. You've even got this dude and his mom. Greet Rufus, verse 13 says, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. How, how do you get such a diverse group of people gathered together in this one spot. 
How do you have such an eclectic group of men and women, prominently known and totally unknown, societal leaders and the outcast slaves of society, men and women, all kinds of different races and ethnic backgrounds, single, couples, guys with their moms. How do you bring all of these people together? What is it that would possibly unite all of these people? How do you get one list with such a wide, unlikely, and unexpected group of people? Here's how. Jesus. Jesus. It's the only answer to that question. The gospel has brought these Men and women, the most unlikely people, the gospel builds the most beautiful bonds between the most unlikely people. I love how we see this in the scriptures here in front of us. And I love how we get to see this in flesh and bones in front of us. I, 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 whenever I look out upon our church in person on a Sunday morning gathered together, or when I sit in my small group on a Wednesday night and I look at the different people, very often the thought pops into my head, how on earth are all these people here together? What else would possibly bring these people together if it were not Jesus? Nothing. All that we have in common, the only reason such diverse, young and old, men and women, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different educational statuses, different ethnic backgrounds, all the things that bring us together, the only thing that we have in common is the beautiful bond of the gospel. And I love that. And at the same time, as much as I celebrate what we see of that right in front of us, I think our text also pushes us today, friends. Because are we really as unlikely as we could be? Are we really as diverse as we could be? Are we really seeing the walls of our community of all kinds of different sorts, broken down so that we're gathering together? Are we as eclectic as the community we find ourselves in? I think there's a challenge here today, friends, because the gospel builds bonds of the most beautiful nature amongst the most unlikely people. How does it do this? Well, we see here the gospel, first of all, brings about life transformation. Look at, I'll give you just a couple examples. Verse 5, here we see Paul say, Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Paul remembers, knows the story, how this guy was the very first person in the whole region of Asia to give his life to Jesus. He's like, I remember when that guy gave his life to Christ. I remember hearing his testimony when he got baptized. I remember seeing how much he was changed. And that has built this bond. Because he's seen his life Change. I remember who you were and who you have become, Epenetus. He, he's writing while he's with Gaius. It says in verse 23, Gaius is one of the people who is with him. And Gaius is actually a guy who Paul baptized. Over in a different letter in 1 Corinthians, it says, I am thankful, Paul writes this, that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. 
Paul had a front row seat to see Gaius's life change. Paul was in the water, in the river, dunking Gaius and bringing him back up. The gospel transforms lives. And there's something about seeing another person's life transformed, being there when, when they see your life transformed, walking through journeys together where our lives are being molded and shaped and changed, that it just bonds you together. It builds the most beautiful bond. All this other stuff that you might think defines you is shed to the side because you see, wow, look at what God is doing in your life and in my life together. So, if you find yourself in a spot where you really long to make some unique, beautiful bonds with brothers and sisters in the Lord, do you know what you should do? Get yourself into environments where you get to see lives changed. If you want to build bonds if, with, with brothers or sisters around our church, put yourself in places where life change is happening. Get into a small group where you get together every single week to discuss God's word and to pray for one another and to call out to the Lord to bring about transformation in our lives. Take the step of faith when you hear that we're running our next alpha to invite your coworker and go along with them. Say, hey, come with me to go to Alpha and see what God is going to do in the journey as you pray and walk together exploring the big questions of life and the bond that starts to happen as you see life change happen. Take the step of faith in this next year to go on a short-term mission trip around the world with a team to share the love and good news of Jesus and to see God change other people's lives and yours in the process. And oh, the bonds that happen in these sort of greenhouse environments when we unite together to see lives transformed by the gospel. It builds us incredible bonds. The gospel also bonds us as brothers and sisters together because it breaks down barriers. The gospel breaks down barriers. The barriers of Jew and Gentile rich and poor, known and unknown, powerful and weak, prominent and insignificant. They are all destroyed by Jesus, friends. As that saying goes, there is level ground at the foot of the cross. This list of names is a display of that. This gathering together of brothers and sisters of such diverse backgrounds in Rome to hear this letter read to them is a picture of the barriers that have been broken down, that are not holding them back, despite all of their backstories and who they are and how the rest of the world looks at them. They're like, we are united together as a church because of Jesus, Paul says over in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, all the walls that divide us have been destroyed. We don't divide based upon race or skin color or the accent of your voice. See, our, our passports aren't 
Canadian, Portuguese, Dutch, Indian. That's not our passports. Our passports say because of Jesus, you and I are citizens of heaven and we are united as common citizens of heaven. In Christ, we don't divide based upon status or power or prominence because we have all been raised up to the highest status as adopted children of the king of the universe. In Christ, we don't divide based upon gender or sex. God has united all of us together as one bride, and we are all collectively eagerly anticipating that beautiful and majestic union between us as the bride of Christ, the church, and Him at the marriage supper and union with Jesus. In Christ, we are all given the same Holy Spirit. We are all covered by the same blood of Jesus. I am no better than you. And you are no better than me. The gospel has shattered every barrier between us and bonded us as one. The gospel also bonds us because the gospel leads us to serve in the trenches together. We see here these little sentences that have so much behind them. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches and the Gentiles are grateful to them. They, Paul's like, they risked everything. They put their life on the line for me. It says, verse, verse 7, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison. In prison with me. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Rufus's mom loved and cared for Paul so much that he's like, she's like a second mom to me. He's writing with Gaius, whose hospitality, it says in verse 23, I and the whole church here are enjoying. And Gaius sends you his greetings. Paul, translation to that, he's like, I'm living in Gaius' house. He opened his house to me. We're all here in his house right now. The gospel does not lead us to sit on the sidelines. The gospel calls us into the trenches together. It does not call us to a spectator sport where we sit on the sidelines and observe. It calls us into the game, friends. Now, I understand that there are certain seasons of life that might make this a little more difficult. I understand, young moms, when you have a brand new baby, your ability to do certain things is significantly restricted because you've got to focus there. I understand that, that big transitions in life lead you to a point where you might be starting something new and trying to feel yourself out and say, is this really the place where we're landing and there's some time of uncertainty? I get that. I understand that there may be seasons where health issues are restricting or limiting or frankly, we're just not able to do all that we used to be able to do even though we want to as years pass by. I get all of that. But, but in general... The norm is never sitting on the sidelines. The norm for the Christian is getting in the game. 
The norm for the Christian, the call of the gospel, is to get into the trenches. And I think, frankly, this is one of the biggest reasons why today so many people in the church feel like, I just feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I, I just don't have the bond like I want to. I just don't have the connection like I feel like I should. There's, there's just something that's not quite totally, fully there. I can't put my finger on it. Well, if all we do is come and consume and we sit on the sidelines as if this is a time of entertainment rather than get in the trenches, guess what? We're not going to develop the bonds that we feel inside that we are made for and we are missing out on something. We are missing out on something. There was a season for our family a little over four years ago where my wife Natalie and I, we've shared this story somewhat. Maybe some of you have heard this over the last number of years. Where my wife Natalie went through a really heavy time of postpartum anxiety after uh, our last child was born. Like, like so heavy that she ended up in the hospital And then for five weeks after she came out of the hospital, she went and lived in the home of a couple from our church because she just couldn't come home yet. Five weeks where she was there. And it was one of the hardest times I have ever been through. I remember about two-thirds of the way through this time where my wife is in this other family's home and I'm trying to help look after everything going on with our four kids, including a newborn baby. And about two-thirds of the way through, I finally just like, I snap like a twig because I just couldn't carry it anymore. I was trying so hard to hold it all together. I was trying so hard to be strong for Nat, to be strong for my kids, to be strong and act like I, and show everybody that I was fine. And I just, I couldn't handle anymore. And, and this couple who had brought my wife into their home to look after her and help our family in that way, they actually came over to my house and spent a whole night staying up all night looking after my baby because, because I hadn't slept in weeks and I was just a, a mess. Five weeks they opened up their home coming into my house to help look after my newborn, our newborn baby, because we were in such a rough spot. And I have to tell you, friends, that was so hard. I mean, hard for a lot of reasons, but one of the big ones was because I wanted to be able to have it all together. I wanted to be able to be like, no, no, we're good. Our family's good. We can get through this ourselves. We don't need anybody help. I wanted everyone to look and think, oh, look, they've got it all together. Even though we very obviously didn't. And it was so hard to say we need help. I'll tell you though, that couple who opened up their home for five weeks to house my wife. Talk about sacrifice. Talk about how hard that was to, to have somebody in their home for over a month living there, looking after them 
with no specific deadline in mind, just saying, we will serve you as long as we can. The sacrifice that that took, man, that was hard. But can I tell you the bond that was built between us and that couple in that time because of the way we entered into the trenches of life. And the only reason they did that for us is the overflowing goodness of God in the gospel at work in their lives to love and care and come alongside us. Oh, the bond that was developed there, friends. It's beyond what you could ever imagine. That bond that has come together as we entered into the trenches. The bond that is created when we sacrifice together. The bond that is created when we serve together. The bond that is created when we carry one another's burdens and and has Jesus being the only one that carries us through. It's unlike anything else that you can imagine. And so... Let me ask you, are you willing to do the self-sacrificing step of allowing others into your life so that you can get in the trenches together? Admitting that you need others? Are you willing to do the sacrificial step of, of opening up your family and your home and getting into getting into prison, getting into the hardships of life, risking your life, being like a second mom to someone, opening up the doors of your home to build the bond that comes as the gospel is built here. This is not just a list of random names, friends. It is the most unlikely group of people you could imagine with the most beautiful bond, all because of the gospel. Are you building those kind of bonds? Are you building those kind of bonds in our church? Are you building those kind of bonds with brothers and sisters? Are you inviting others into your life to build those kind of bonds together? Are we allowing the gospel to do this in our midst too, Bethel? This is God's desire for all of us as we embrace the gospel. But we also need to see here That we must beware of the one who wants to destroy our unlikely bonds. There are those out there who want to destroy these unlikely and beautiful bonds that God is working to build. Verse 17, it says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetite. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I urge you, he says in verse 17, I beg you, I implore you. Bethel, I urge you, I beg you, I implore you. You, as we've gone over this study in this incredible book of Romans over this last year, I've seen God doing some amazing things in our lives. I've heard some amazing conversations. I've seen and heard some incredible prayer requests going on. 
And I am, as verse 19 says, I am full of joy over you and at what God is doing. And God has so much more that he's wanting to do. But we need to watch out, Bethel. We need to watch out, it says, because there are some who want to cause division and put obstacles in our way to break the bonds that God has been building together. Looks can be so deceiving, friends. See, these are going to be smooth-talking flattery. The ways of the world, so smooth. The ways of the world, so smooth. You don't even realize what's happening to us because it's so smooth and so easy and we just swallow it down without even realizing it. Let me give you a little exercise. I want you to think back over the study that we've done in the book of Romans here. It's been a long time, a full year, and I don't know how far back your memory goes, but think back whether it was even last week or last month or a couple months ago. Think back to something that God, one thing that God really struck your heart with as we've been studying through. One point where there was real conviction, real encouragement, real challenge, something you need to stop doing something you need to start doing, something you need to get right with God, something you need to get right with another person. Think, can you think about one thing where the Lord really pressed in on your heart? Can you think of it? Take a moment right now. What comes to mind as we've gone through this study in the book of Romans? What's one thing? You got it? Okay, you got that one thing in your head? Now here's the question I want to ask you. In the last couple days, have you been continuing to apply that lesson? That, that thing that God significantly, through the reading of the Word, the discussion on Sundays after church with your family, the getting into a small group study, your own particular reading and reflection time, the thing that God so specifically pushed upon your heart and, and was wrestling you on, have you continued to be living it out in the last few days? If you have, that's amazing. I, I rejoice with you. But here's my guess. If you are anything like me, it's so easy to get taken off course, isn't it? It's so easy without even realizing to go, we've forgotten. Oh, that thing that God spoke so specifically convicting to me about, how did I just get lulled over here looking this way again? How did I get so distracted? It's like I didn't even realize that I got caught up with this other stuff. Smooth. Isn't it the way that it happens? To make us forget about getting back on the altar every single day. It's amazing how smooth it happens to start forgetting that you can't save yourself. You are just a slave to sin and dead in sin. And it's only Jesus who died for you. To forget the hope that we keep going to because our world is broken and we're longing for its redemption. To go into despair, forgetting how powerful God is and that he's the God who works all things together for good. To try to forget about doing it all yourself rather than remembering that the Father has the Son and the Spirit interceding on your behalf at every single moment. I urge you, brothers and sisters, Bethel, watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles up, trying to lead you away from all that God has been doing in your life. Look out. 
And finally, we finish off with this final phrase in the goodbye where we're told to give glory to the only wise, victorious God. It finishes off with this beautiful benediction. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of mercy, uh, sorry, the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all the nations might believe and obey to the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. See, God is doing and has done an amazing thing. The gospel we've studied here in Romans is the most incredible news. It's pulled us out of death and darkness and is the truth that gives us light and hope and salvation first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. We've seen the truth that God is at work bringing people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and nothing can stifle God from doing all that he is going to do. We live in a broken world, and yet he's calling us to be transformed as we lay down our life over and over and over again. This is all a fulfillment of the prophetic writings that God put down in the Old Testament being fulfilled now in Jesus. And so... Even though the enemy is going to come and try to break the bond that God is doing, hear this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God wins, friends. His gospel is mighty. He revealed it in the ancient scriptures. He fulfilled it when he sent Jesus. He has brought us into his mission to reach the nations. And so the only reasonable and appropriate response to finish off our time in this study and our time of uniting together here is to lift our hands, to lift our hearts, to lift our voices, and to praise God to the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. Amen.